Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. I've had to do this with so many clients over the years, and I'll, I'll tell you what I tell them first, and I'll tell you the, where I learned a second. What I tell them is, once you've listened to all the reasons why they can't fire somebody, I say, if you got a phone call right now, and you just found out that Bob had just been hit by a truck and was dead, you'd have to replace him because he's fucking dead. Like, sorry, you don't have any time. So you'd quickly make a list of the five things you'd have to do to cover for his ass, and you'd start recruiting, right? So what are the five things you would do? Make that list, fire them, start working on the five things and get recruiting. Where I learned this was one morning at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, eight o'clock in the morning, the phone rang and I got a phone call and Brian got a phone call at the same time. And we both turned to look at each other. And I was speaking to the the Portland franchise um, owner's general manager. And Brian was speaking to the Portland franchise owner's wife. And we found out that he just committed suicide. And we didn't have a plan for what we would what would happen if a franchisee died because we only had 12 franchisees. So we weren't at the 330 franchises yet. We didn't have systems for this. So we literally, Brian broke down crying because he'd known him forever and had helped recruit the guy. And for me, I was pretty new. So I went into COO role and I went into the boardroom. I said, what are all the things we need to do to cover for this? realized Brian couldn't even handle that. So I'm like, you go home and decompress, I'll figure out the plan. And within a week, we had the, the whole thing like completely operational. But to your point, like you just have to rip off the Band-Aid, right? And and like like a Band-Aid, you know, and guys understand this. Well, I guess women still have the little tiny hairs, but like when you just got to rip the fucker off, man, <laughs> it doesn't make any of the hairs hurt any less when you're ripping the thing off, right? Yeah, and it's crazy because every time you always say like, um, you, you always coach us, Cameron, that, you know, the other team members, they'll, they'll step up, they'll perform better. You can perform better with less people, et cetera. And it's, it's just crazy how it's true every time. Yeah. You think about like the hockey team analogy, right? If you watch any hockey, like a, a team can, can have somebody in the penalty box and play shorthanded and still score a goal. But in some ways I've always felt like they sometimes should play shorthanded because there's one less player on the ice screwing things up and <laughs> getting in the way. And, you know, there's, I know you can be a little more nimble. The working title for my first book, Double Double, was how to get more shit done by less people faster, right? And, and I think we have to, as a company, revisit that as a strategy meeting, you know, sit down and say, what would we do? I just did this yesterday with a client. I said, what would you, or it was last night at dinner. Um, it was Guy Barry from Redirect Health. It was his CEO. And I said, what would you do if, if you had 10 times the amount of customers coming in next month? what would you have to change? Because he was worried that they're growing too quickly. They're really scaling fast and he wants to slow down on marketing. I'm like, fuck you, man, spend more. I want you to grow even faster. So what we're looking at is what are all the things he would have to change if he had 10 times the amount of clients without adding people? So he looked for things in the business that could be systemized and, and automated and optimized and how they could do things as a group. And he realized they could change a few things that are pretty simple that would allow them to scale even faster. But we often don't, we often don't stress test that. The mid-level manager, the, the, the early stage manager, like the more junior managers who are really managing people for the first time, 
one of the core problems that you have with these people is their solution to every problem tends to be what? We need more people. We need more people. Yeah. I need to hire someone to do this. I need to hire someone to do this. No, no, you don't. Or maybe, maybe you do, but um, we're not going to hire someone, right? So I think that's where we have to get it to is we can't let their solution be hiring more people. We need their solution to be optimization, automation, saying no more often, skill development of their people, helping their people with productivity. And, and Josh, I think you even said this earlier, is like, you know, we're hoping that she'll work harder to get better results. Working hard isn't the solution. You've seen a fly on the window working hard, trying to get out the window. Sometimes it's smarter if the fly turns and goes out the door that's right over here, but working hard, they often end up dead on the windowsill. And I often think that if we want to, like that Protestant work ethic was a really bad lesson that our grandparents taught our parents. Work hard, work hard. It's fuck, fuck hard, man. Like, and this is where Gen Z and Gen Y get it more than Gen X and baby boomers. They're all about optimizing stuff, automating stuff, outsourcing stuff, offshoring. So they don't have to go to work. Like they'll offshore their job and they'll work for an hour managing seven people in the Philippines to do work with them. That's actually not illegal, right? It's just smarter than their bosses. So I think we have to look for those opportunities in our businesses as well as how do we, you know, get more done with less people faster? How do we optimize the business? How do we automate the business? Anybody have good resources? Like th- that's my biggest worry is we we actually have a manager who's getting ready to have a remote employee due to family circumstances. And obviously she sits right next to her team right now so she can manage what they're doing. And so this will be a totally new experience for her um, managing a remote employee. And so my job is people development. So I want help understanding what would be best for her to do in order to manage her employee so that he is productive. We know he's a productive guy in general. So like we wouldn't be allowing this if it wasn't, we didn't see success, but I am a little concerned. Some people hate this, but it works. Um, or just daily standups, like daily check-ins, like if they're on Zoom, whatever, like 15, 20 minute morning, afternoon, just check-ins. Keeps them engaged and the manager will know exactly what's going on. You're on the right stuff? Or are you worried about that they're not working? What is it you're thinking about, Heather? A little bit of both, um, just because it's a new situation. And I, I worked from home for 10 years and I remember transitioning from being in an office into a remote position and you know wanting to stay in touch and wanting to be a part of the the culture and the community still uh and my manager was really hands off so i didn't necessarily engage in that and i had to kind of figure it out myself and so i want her to be more proactive and i know i need to train her on that i just didn't know if anybody had other than they will do daily huddles she's actually great at her daily huddles and i was like you've got to make sure we have a plan for that but what other things especially to make him feel engaged still because we do a lot here we do a lot of being in person we do a lot of stuff that is incredibly engaging with our employees is anyone using any of the software that exists now that kids are using where they're doing like virtual study halls where they're sitting and studying and listening to music and doing work together but they're all over zoom study verse we haven't yeah study no i don't think we do we use that matt no, but I think we talked about it on this call and I have yeah, it like on my notes. Did. Like it looks really cool. Yeah. I don't I don't know if that's the kind of thing. Heather, how about having like your company vivid vision and um or even asking them what they want to be working on? Have you have you had them decide, you know, the core areas of the business that they want to be focusing on, getting them more engaged? 
something about Gen Y that's interesting is they have to see value in their work. They have to see that the work that they're doing matters. And so if you often show them the goal and allow them to be part of the planning, the figuring out how to get to the goal, they're going to figure out they're going to be more engaged versus telling them what to do. That totally makes sense. Um, I think that if they do feel like they're doing something rewarding and, and they can see the end result and what it's contributing to, I think would definitely help. I've even seen it with my kids where I used to ask my kids, like, so what do you guys want to do for dinner? And they'd give me the, you know, the three different places they'd want to go. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to go there. I'm like, well, th- as soon as I shut down their ideas, they didn't really buy into dinner at all. And then I realized like, if I actually gave them a theme and said, Hey, I feel like Italian, what Italian restaurants do you guys want to go to tonight? Or I'm thinking Italian or Mexican, where do you guys want to go? I kind of, if you give them that kind of a, a rough direction, um, so that may be something that helps them as well is just, here's our goal. Here's where we're headed. What are the core projects you want to work on? Or here's three projects we need you to do. And this is where situational leadership comes in. If you think about that, that module in the course as well, and investing your leaders, situational leadership, the reason it's the first module is I think it's the core, the core skill that every manager and owner needs to be good at. So the way you lead people is to, so think every, actually, let's just do this as an exercise. Heather, write down five projects that are on his plate. And Josh, I want you to pick an employee. Every, all of you pick one person that reports to you or that you work with and put down three to five projects that they're working on right now. And just write down what those projects are. You can short form it. You can just scribble it however you want to do it. Once you've got your five written down, just put your hand up so I can see that you've got it done. Okay. Okay. Now for each of those projects, for this person, so the way situational leadership works is we lead people on a project by project basis differently. And we also coach and, 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 and lead people differently. You could have the same two different people running the different, the same project, you lead them differently, or you could have one person running five projects. You have to lead them differently for each of the five projects. You lead them based on two things, their skill development and their commitment on a project by project basis. So for each of these projects, I want you to give them a rating of a zero, one, or two for skill. How much skill do they have at this? Zero for no skill, one for some skill, two for high skill. So on this project, zero, one, or two, and do it for each of the five projects. Now, after you've done that, I want you to give them a rating for commitment. And commitment can kind of sway or vary based on if they're overwhelmed or if they're busy with family stuff or they're worried about screwing up or they're new and they don't, they don't want to disappoint or, or maybe they're just, they don't like doing it. Um, what's their commitment level? They're either not into doing it, which is a zero. They're kind of into working on it, which is a one, or they're really excited about working on it. And that's a two. So give them a point value for commitment, zero, one, or two. Um, okay. So now I want you to add up the points for each project. So project one, they either have a total of zero, one, two, three, or four points, project two, project three for each project. What's the total points for that project? Zero, one, two, three, or four. Okay. So do any of you have a project that someone's working on where they have a total of zero points? Okay. Give it to someone else. They're not into it. They're not good at it. You're pushing rope. Just find somebody else who is into it, who is good at it. Give it to them. No judgment. It's like a CEO who's like, I suck at IT. I'm going to hire a head of IT. Okay. doesn't mean you're a bad CEO. It means you've hired somebody who likes IT and they're really good at IT. Does anybody have a project where you have a total of one point? So they have a total of one. 
This is when you micromanage the shit out of them. This is exactly what they need. They need to be micromanaged. They need to be given the step-by-step instructions of exactly what to do and how to do it. And they don't need to be told why it happens that way. They just need the step-by-step instructions. It's like a two-year-old that you're teaching how to pour juice. They don't need the theory of why water or liquids flow the way they flow. They just need you to fucking show them how to do it, exactly how to do it, and hold their hand while they do it. And then cheer them on when they're doing it because you're going to raise their confidence as they're doing it. If they have a total of two points, you're going to show them the plan, give them the whole step-by-step instructions. You're going to cheer them on lots and you're going to explain why we do it that way. You're going to start giving them insights as to how and why you come up with the plans like that because you're going to grow their skills so they can start coming up with their own plans to do things as well. If they have a total of three points, you let them come up with the plan. This is like that woman who um, you know you want to do better. If she doesn't have the skill or is worried about getting fired, you might need to create some of the plan for her to get better. She might be too nervous to come up with her own plan, or maybe she's not, I don't know. But situational leadership will tell you if she has three points, she comes up with the plan. You make sure that she knows or that they know you have an open door policy. You'll be there to support them. Um, you're going to cheer them on if they need it as well, but they're going to create the plan and you're going to help them, you know, with the plan if they need it. And lastly, if they have four points on the project, does anybody have somebody with projects with four points? Just give them the project, tell them what the output or the goal needs to look like, like what completed is like, and just let them go. Don't follow up. Don't cheer them on. It's like my son just backpacked around Europe for two months by himself, organized everything, planned all his flights. When I when he was with us in Estonia, he had to get from our Airbnb to the airport and I was going to book him a taxi and wake up in the morning. And my, my wife was like, dude, he just traveled for two months around Europe. He can get to the airport on his own. <laughs> and if so, I didn't need to do it for him. And secondly, if I said, hey, good job getting to the airport on your own, he'd be like, dad, I just traveled for two months. Like, <laughs> you're, you're cheering me on for something I already know I'm great at. It's pointless. You're patronizing me. So our style has to adapt right? You don't want to cheer people on for the study. Like, it'd be like me saying, Hey, Scott, good job walking. You're like, dude, I've been walking for 35 years. Right. (laughs) So, so be careful or don't like, I don't coach any of my clients on what they do. You know, like in coaching, um, in coaching the team at wishing you well and Tyler, do you know that we've never once spoken about the Amazon platform and selling anything on Amazon? I don't know how to sell anything on Amazon. I don't coach them on that though. I don't coach on SEO. I'm terrible at SEO. I don't coach like I don't. So I don't coach on what you do. I coach on on how to grow companies. Kim, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Josh. So um, my COO Richard is an incredible student of the COO Alliance. He's you know soaks up all of this stuff and then brings it to our company in you know great quantities. So uh, it was about two years ago he brought to us the situational leadership framework altogether. And uh, we had a company retreat. We spent an hour and a half, including, I think we watched a video of you explaining it in, you know, different segments. Since then, we have, we've integrated it into our quarterly projects system, according to which everybody on the team has like between two and five specific projects or rocks as they're called in the EOS methodology. But here's the here's my question. Like right now, we're having each individual self-report, basically give their own assessment of like what is their skill level and what is their commitment level. And w- what just hit me is that 
<laughs> I don't think we've had our managers really review that critically and and yeah. like ask like does that does this seem reasonable? So I just took a moment while you were talking to look over our current quarters rocks and like I'm seeing a ton of twos for skill level for for things that people have never done before. Right. So so they're rating themselves too high and what they need to understand this is why it's really, by the way, you're doing a really good practice with it. Bring it now into your weeklies as well. Like on your weekly coachings, your one-on-one, your leadership team meetings, like review the situational leadership style on every project all the time and make sure there's a meeting of the minds with the leader and the subordinate so that both people agree on how they need to be led and how to lead them and how to support them. Yeah. Um, and it grows them. It grows their skills and it grows their confidence in saying, you know what? I suck at this and that's okay. It's not like a shame thing, Right. Like I was, I was coaching the CEO of Sprint. He ran the 82nd largest company in the United States. And he was asking me for advice on some stuff around people. If Marcelo Correa can turn to me and ask for advice when he'd already sold his first company for a billion dollars, maybe it's okay for a first year manager to say, I don't know how to do something, but we need, but we need to give them the confidence. It's okay to do that. Sometimes that's by us as leaders saying, Oh, by the way, I'm only at two points on this project. I've got one and one. Okay. Or, or I'm really high skill, but I don't love doing it because it drains me of energy. Can somebody take this project for me? Is it better to have people self-report for this or for, to have their both. manager do it? Both, both okay. sides. Yeah, the self-reporting is next level where you're really getting them to ask for how to be led. But the meeting of the minds is the manager also saying, how do I think they yeah. want to be led? Right. Are, we on, are we on the same page? Yeah, I think that's what's missing. Like the manager is not really thinking critically and then they're not using it to inform how they how they like manage people throughout the quarter. We're just asking every week, hey, is this project on track or is it off track? And, and if it's off track, then that becomes an issue. And maybe if we have time, we figure out how to get it back on track. But I think we have an issue in and of itself of people being over optimistic with their rocks that, you know, often, sometimes they say it's on track when really it's just very, just barely hanging on by a threat. Yeah. And I think that's the key is to make sure that they're, that both people are, you know, into the good thing is they both understand what it is and then it's practicing it and working on it. Situational leadership is something that the team at Starbucks, the leadership team at Starbucks works on every quarter. They get more training around it. You know, I would have all of your employees read the book, The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard, um, which is all based on the theory of situational leadership. I would have them all watch the module in the Invest in Your Leaders course, but watch it again three months after first doing it and watch it again three months after first, second time doing it. Like keep revisiting and keep learning it um, because then you, you keep taking it to the next level. What I do when I'm ready to like, let's say I'm ready to phone an employee or, or hopping on a one-on-one coaching meeting, I very quickly think to myself, okay, I'm going to coach them on this. What's their skill level? What's their commitment level? How do I coach? Okay. I try to, to cognizantly think about that. You know, if I was in a physical office and I was going to hop up and walk down the hall to Brandon, as I'm walking to Brandon's office, I'm thinking about, is it S1, 2, 3, or 4? I have franchisees that work for me at College Pro Painters. 30 years ago now, back in like 1993, who will call me up and say, I need you to S1 me on something. Like, they just like, just tell me exactly what to do here. I'm like, okay, awesome. It's not a bad thing. It's just saying, teach me this. Yeah. These are the, the, the stuff that it's why when we grow our people's skills, it really starts to supercharge the organization because they're all speaking from the same playbook. They're also, if you build it, um, we had a mantra of the no blame environment. 
that um, people don't fail, systems fail, that Michael's, Michael um, Gerber mantra. So our employees didn't feel bad about saying something was broken or something wasn't working because they realized it was no one's fault. It was just a system that was missing or a system that was broken. You know, they didn't feel bad about saying they didn't know how to do something because they realized that we got excited about getting to coach them and grow their skills and grow their confidence. I had somebody say, you know, are you are you worried that the, the remote employees aren't doing their job? And I said, if I'm worried about it, it means I have the wrong employees. But I think mm-hmm. if we hire the right employees who are the right cultural fit, who are driven, I don't care if they're working nine hours a day. I care if they're getting the results that I need for the money that I'm paying them. And then can I continue to give them more stuff that they can get the results for, for the money that I'm paying them? Or do I have to pay them more to get those results? But that's all I care about is the ROI, right? I don't care if someone works from nine to five, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, that's kind of a pointless, archaic process. I don't want to think in my mind that I'm paying them to do 50 hours work and it's only taking them five. I should know more of what they're doing, right? I should understand their jobs more to know what's actually getting done that I'm paying for, for the ROI. But sometimes that's just getting an activity inventory where you ask them to show you all the stuff that they're working on and how long it's taking so that you can understand optimization and how to coach them better and how to automate things or how to outsource or how to get some stuff off their plate that could be outsourced to the Philippines or, you know, could be automated. Does anybody do much of that where they dig in and actually look at the stuff that's on people's plate? They actually look at the, um, you know, the projects that they're working on, et cetera. We just did this with our Philippines team. We had five Philippines employees and everybody was saying, hire more, hire more. And then I sat down with the managers of the Philippines employees and they were all like, nobody's plate is full. And I'm like, okay, so we had two new positions available and we took the five employees and basically moved two of those employees that we trusted into these positions and then reallocated resources of the other three and found out that we can still do even more work with those five people. And it was fascinating for people to think like, oh, we need to hire more. And there was no need, absolutely no need. They were begging for more work. Yeah, it's it, it's often again because the managers don't understand how to manage, how to lead, how to how to uh, measure productivity, how to look for what the ROI is supposed to be. They don't understand activity inventories. They don't understand how to even approach the situation without feeling like a dick. Like so, there. So that's our job is to grow them in those areas, right? The expense, the amount of money that can get wasted in a company that isn't operating efficiently, is the difference between massive productivity, massive profitability, and none. The only time I've seen, the only caveat to that is I, I was coaching somebody who was based in India and I, we were talking about a problem one day and he said, I'll just hire 10 people for that. I'm like, no, you only need one. He goes, Cameron, one employee is $3,000 a year. I'll hire 10. I'm like, oh, a dick. that's so not fair. Um, he, he would just throw bodies at a problem, right? Because yeah. it didn't really matter. That's still $27,000 that could be used to improve somebody else's quality of life. Right, exactly. You take that money and spread it over the rest of the employees too, right? Yeah. And um, I definitely see inflation is real. I mean, we're definitely seeing that everywhere. Is anybody working around that or struggling with that or seeing the impact of inflation on their business or on on labor? Or we are for sure on products. Um, our all of our clients are raising their prices, um, decreasing our discounts, and so at. Pretty soon, we will be passing that on to the um, end customer. 
but it is, it's actually really insane. And Amazon in our world can charge you for anything. <laughs> and so even in Q4, we're going to see an increase. Uh, I believe it's going to end up being like $135,000 more than what it is normally just for storage fees due to the holidays. So, and that's even more than it was last year, but we're seeing it big time. Yeah. So what are you doing? Are you raising? We're going to have to raise the prices um, to the end user on Amazon. And so we have to work through that with each of our brands because it's it's a balance between what they're selling on their own e-commerce site uh, and also at big box stores. And it's it's actually a very hard conversation to have with them about, hey, and on Amazon, we can actually charge more because of convenience. And so we have to, like, if you're not going to give us a discount on this end, we're going to have to charge the customer more. So, but it's, it's a tough discussion to have with them. Yeah. Yeah, it is for sure. I don't know your business well enough to but I, I think you have to, as a team, sit down and figure out how can you go to your customers and ask for more money as well and blame it on COVID and blame it on inflation, which, you know, we've at least now been socialized by so much in the media about it and that it's real that I think they actually understand. Um, but we need to get them raising their prices as well, right? And it's more coaching too, because again, it goes back to just like how to fire somebody. It goes back to, uh, not being too scared to ask for more from our clients. Uh, and that is, it's not easy for some people. You know, some people are scared that, that the clients are going to say no um, or fire us because we're asking for more. But and, and they may, right? But the reality is that if we have unprofitable business, if we have unprofitable clients, sometimes it makes more sense to get rid of those people and we can remove some overhead as well. Like gee, we're, exactly. we're, not, we're not in the nonprofit business, right? You know, it's why Steve Jobs, I think, got rid of 75% of the products at Apple when he came back in was he realized that he needed to work on the critical few products that were profitable and had enough gross margin and get rid of all the unprofitable products that really weren't. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.